Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. privilege and an honor it is to come and stand on the platform today and get to share with my brothers and sisters, those that are in the sanctuary, those that are watching online, wherever you are in the world, it is just a privilege to come and just share with brothers and sisters what's going on inside my heart, what God's been stirring, actually for a couple weeks. Uh, Last Saturday, Pastor Jamie texted me and he just said, you know, hey Dave, would you be interested in coming and sharing a word? And it's like, yeah, what a privilege and an honor it always is to just come and and just be with my brothers and sisters here. Um, Before I get started on anything, we had a party here last Friday. There was a Brazil party that was happening in the sanctuary where the youth are. How many of you were at that party? Just wave at me. Yeah, there was a bunch of you. And we call it a Brazil party because, um, well, for multiple reasons. Where's M? Where are you at? She's hiding somewhere there. Our friend Emanuele, she's uh, come from Brazil and spent the last month or two with us. And uh, we have had opportunities over the years because of what's happened here at the house. And I don't know if all of you are familiar. There has been a school of ministry that's taken place over the years. And it's, we, we want to get it back up and running again. I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. But in the school of ministry, there was always opportunities at the end of the school year for the students to pick maybe one of five different places in the world to go. And Brazil was always one of them. My wife and I would take teams over there and they would come back and they would be on fire for Jesus because they had experienced the manifest presence of God in and through their lives from what they had learned in the school of ministry. And it was just a powerful time Friday night. I had so much fun. We had Chef Neil, I don't know if you guys know Chef Neil, Neil Meyer. He brought pulled pork, he brought potato salad, uh, coleslaw, all the fixings. It was absolutely a fantastic time of celebrating all that God has done. And there are multiple students that had gone over the years and to come and just have opportunity to share stories, testimonies, reliving some of the things that happened to them while they were there, how their lives were changed, but also the lives that they impacted while they were there. It was an absolute fun time. There were balloons laying all over the floor. There were little kids running around, kicking balloons all night long. It was just a free-for-all party, good fellowship. Anyhow, on the way home, uh, I got home, and my wife and I, Noreen, we, I just looked at her, and I said, I asked this question. I said, how did we get here? How did we get here? And she looked at me kind of funny. She said, well, we drove. (laughs) I said, no, honey, how did we get to this place where we are in life? During this uh, celebration on Friday, we had a number of people that they came and they just shared kind words about my wife and I, how we've impacted their lives over the years by believing in them, by, many of them said, by pushing them out of the boat and making them walk on water. Huh? Who's, yes. So it was a great time of celebration. So again, I asked my wife, how did we get here? 
what did it cost us to get where we are today? And I began to have things stirred up in me. Actually, this whole last week when Pastor Jamie asked me to share, I have a, a, a passage of Scripture, a story from the Old Testament that I'm going to talk about and share about. But getting to this point where God began to flood my memory of all the stories through my personal life of how I got to this place. Some of you know me. Some of you don't know me very well. Uh, my story is long and sordid, like I'm sure many of your stories are too. And I have a question. Can I be transparent with you this morning? Can I be honest with you this morning? All right, I just want to be real, because my story is just like yours. I'm no different than you. I'm a simple man, just like you. I got up this morning, jumped out of bed, and uh, put my pants on one leg at a time. I'm not Superman, I'm just a normal guy. But there was something that, trans that transpired over all of these years of walking with Jesus, and I'm gonna share that a little bit with you today through the story in this Old Testament. There's a phrase I want you to remember as we go throughout the day today, as I share this message, and here's the phrase. There is always a cost with a choice. There is always a cost with a choice. With every choice you make, whether it's good, a good choice, or a bad choice, there is always a cost. Getting ready for this party on Friday, there was a cost. It cost me financially to make some things prepared and ready to go. It cost me time and effort to help organize and strategize to reach out to all the people that have gone throughout the years on this Brazil trip it took time to help set up the tables, break down the tables, clean up after the party was done. There was a choice. I saw this crazy young Brazilian lady sitting there, and I said, we need to have a Brazil party before she goes back home, which she's leaving in a week. So you need to love on her really, really well. But in this process of making choice, there is always a cost. Always. And you need to realize this. And the story that I'm going to read is going to prove this out to you. My question to you today is this. What is your offering that you're bringing to the Lord? What is the cost of your life and, and bringing this uh, offering to before God? What is it costing you? There's nothing that's for free. Nothing. And as we get into the story this morning, it's actually in the book of, uh, we'll start in 2 Samuel. If you have a Bible, in 2 Samuel, in verse 1, I think it's going to be up on the screen. Here we go. Here's what it says. This is the story of King David. And King David, as you know, was a mighty man of God. He was a mighty warrior. He won many battles. He had experienced God in multiple ways, in multiple situations. But something is happening here that's going to change the course of his life. It says in verse 1, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Think about this. The anger of the Lord was aroused against the people of Israel, and he, God, moved David against them. Against who? The people of Israel. To do what? Go number Israel and Judah. What's wrong with having a census? 
What's wrong with numbering the people? As I was researching this over the last week or so, I mean, this, this scripture's been stirring in my heart for a couple weeks, even before I knew I was gonna preach on it. And I asked God, what's the big deal? So what? David's having a census, he's numbering the people. So I asked God, what is the reason? And today I'm telling you, if I'm transparent, that hearts are gonna be revealed. My heart will be revealed. I'm praying that your heart will be revealed and exposed to what God is doing. But something was happening in David's life. In this uh, next story we're gonna read, it's actually the same story in 1 Chronicles. Let's turn to that. 1 Chronicles, I'm gonna read the account. So here it says that it was the Lord who aroused things to happen against Israel. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse one, it says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David, David to number Israel. Think about that. One passage, it says that God was the one that moved. He aroused the people against, you know, what was going on. And the second one here, it says in Chronicles that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan's just a pawn. Amen? God can use him any way he wants. Something was being exposed in David's heart that God wanted to reveal and show him like, there's something wrong here, brother. There's something wrong here with what you're doing. If we read the story before, the chapter before in Chronicles, it's actually the story of victory after victory after victory through David and his mighty men. They had killed all the Philistines. There was actually a giant that was Goliath's brother that talks about in the story. He had six fingers on each hand, six toes on every foot. It's interesting. And they're celebrating the victory that God is doing. And I can imagine because the scripture does not, it does not specify why God was angry with him. All I can imagine is that there was something going on in David's heart, much like my own heart at times where there was something stirring in him that was either prideful or he was like getting arrogant. I'm sure by now he had a number of wives. People were doubting on him saying, you're the mighty man of God. And he was getting prideful. He was getting arrogant to the point of, God revealed his heart. There's something going on with you, son, that needs to be flushed out. And God caused David to do this thing. And it was, it was strategic. It was powerful. If we continue to read the story in Chronicles, we know that Joab is the general, David's right-hand man. He is the general. And when David speaks to Joab and tells him, I want you to go number the people of Israel and Judah, Joab pushes back and says, King, you're making a mistake. You shouldn't be doing this. In both accounts, that's what it says. But the king has his way. There is a move of God or of the devil, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter, that forced David to take the steps that he did. David made a choice. And with the choice, there was a cost. As the story continues on, they go out, Joab and his men, they begin to number all the people of Israel. And then it comes to David's attention that he sinned. In verse 6, it says, but he did not count, so this is talking about Joab, he did not count the tribe of Levi or Benjamin among them, 
for the king's word was abominable to Joab. So Joab was resisting. He was saying, this is not right. And down in verse 9, we know that David repented. He said, I've sinned. In verse 8, he says, I've sinned greatly. And then something happens. Then the Lord spoke to Gad. Gad is the prophet. David's seer saying, go and tell David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to God who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. Something is happening here. David realizes that he did stupid. You ever done stupid? I have too. Too many times. You made a wrong choice. And there's a cost to the choice, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And in this situation, now David, the realization comes to him, and he has to make a choice. What do I do? I got three choices. None of them are good. And he's had enough experience with God over his tenure, over his time, where he realizes, this is out of my hands. I can't make this choice. God I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. I trust you. You're going to do what's right to make this right. Forgive me. And God brings a pestilence in the land for three days. 70,000 Israelites are killed in three days because of one choice that one man made. David made a choice. Go do a census. Number the people. His heart was being exposed. There was ulterior motives. There were agendas that David had that were not right, and God was going to flush them out. And then something happens in this process of 70,000 being laid low. They're dying because of David's choice. And an angel comes, and he begins to reveal. Let's just continue reading what it says. In verse 16, David lifted up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. 
Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. I think I'd be hiding too if I saw an angel of the Lord standing with a sword ready to take my life. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. That's interesting. Ornan was busy doing what he knew to do. This was his job. He was threshing grain for his family to eat, for the people to eat. He saw the angel of God, but he continued going and doing what he was supposed to do. And he went out from, uh, David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor. And Ornan bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself, and let my lord, the king, do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. You see, here's Ornan, simple man. He's a farmer. The king comes, and the king is heavy laden with a burden. He realizes what he has done. He has cost the lives of 70,000 people, his brothers and sisters, to die. And he's coming with this heavy burden. And he comes to Ornan, and Ornan's ready to give it to him because this is the king. King, come on. You tell me what you need, I'm going to give it to you for free. And I want you to see what David says next, and this is what I want to get after today. Verse 24, Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. What is the cost that you've paid? What is the price that you've paid so far in your life? I'm not here to talk about the price for sin or anything else. Jesus paid the price for that. But we are a living sacrifice, holy and accepted by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? We've been bought with a price. Nothing that we have is our own. And God is calling each and every one of you to do great things for the kingdom of God. And you said, oh, Brother Dave, you don't know me. I'm just a lowly. I don't speak well. I don't talk well. Well, you don't know me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know the terrible things that I've done, said, places I've been. And yet here I am standing today before you, sharing the message. Here's the question, what is the cost? Are you willing to come before the throne of grace, God Almighty, every day, every moment of every day, and bring the offering, the sacrifice of praise, when it costs you nothing? You all have choices to make. Every choice. With every choice, there's a cost. With every choice, there's a cost. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my story and see how it pertains to this so maybe I can help 
Some of us here today understand that what God is desiring to do in and through your life is more than you've ever imagined. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you outrageously. I'm a carpenter by trade. Never been to seminary, never been to Bible school. Was raised in a Roman Catholic family. Went to church every Sunday. There were eight kids in our family. Every day before every meal and after every meal, we would pray over the food. And every time the name Jesus was mentioned, there was a slight bow of your head in reverence to God. See, my parents loved God. They were pursuing truth. They were looking for answers. Every night, eight of us would line up in the living room, kneel down at the couch, and we would say our religious prayers. We would pray to God, looking for truth. My parents loved God. They were pursuing truth. God honored their hearts at some point. They came to Christ. They got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It did happen. But for me personally, I'm going to share you my story a little bit. I was a good athlete, played all the sports, played hockey, that was my sport, football, baseball, played them, but I was a, a partying machine. I was somewhat popular in school, and I, I did the popular thing. I partied hard. I did my own thing. Senior in high school, I was still pursuing and looking for truth. I had encountered God on numerous occasions, even as a young Catholic boy. Senior in high school, we have our religion class, the Catholic catechism that's being taught. And there was a handful of us that went to the Brother Joe that was teaching it and said, Brother Joe, we'd like to study from the Bible our senior year. Is that possible? He said, I have to go ask the Monsignor. So he went and asked the Monsignor, and the answer was no. You have to stick with the catechism. So being good, rebellious teenagers that we were, we started our own Bible study. We were looking for truth. You see, everywhere I go around the world, and it's been a privilege, I'll tell you a little bit more, but I get to travel all around the world and see God do some crazy things. That's why we celebrated on Friday the Brazil party, celebrating all that God has done in these years of being to travel there. Been in over 50 countries around the world, seeing God do crazy things. And now I've begun this search for truth as a young individual. And I make a choice after I get out of high school. It's like, I've had too much discipline in my home. I'm, I'm gonna leave the discipline and I'm gonna join the Marine Corps. <laughs> Is that a smart move or what? Huh? Out of the frying pan into the fire. Four years in the Marine Corps, I work on fighter jets and I'm a good Marine advanced in rank quickly because I was good, I was sharp, I was smart, but I was also a partying fool, cussed like a sailor. I was a good Marine, good Catholic Marine. Went to church every Sunday, couldn't miss Sunday, because if you miss Sunday, you're going to hell. That was, you know, one of the rules. You don't pass go, you don't collect $200, you just go straight to hell. So I made sure after partying all day long, I went to church on Sunday went to confession, did everything I knew that a good Catholic religious Marine would do. And then something happened. See, choices are made. You see, I made a choice to go into the Marine Corps. 
For four years, my life was not my own. I belonged to Uncle Sam. My life wasn't my own. I couldn't just leave and go do whatever I wanted. I made a choice, and there was a cost. But in that place, this is where God moves. He says, all things work together. Not some things. All things work together for what? For his good. For, our, for his glory. For our good and his glory. While I'm in the Marine Corps, I mean, I'm just living a normal life. Something happens. A man gets transferred into our shop. I worked on ejection seats. I worked on fighter jets. And this guy gets transferred into our shop, and he's my superior. His name is Staff Sergeant Martin Stewart, and he's a Jesus freak. And everybody hates this guy. I mean, literally despises him because he is light in a dark place. I am ashamed to be around him. I'm embarrassed to be near him because the light was exposing my darkness. And in this place, something happens. I get orders to change from the day shift to the night shift, and guess who I get stuck with? <laughs> Staff Sergeant Martin Stewart all alone. And I'm thinking, my God, I'm going to die. This is not good. And this man lovingly begins to share truth with me. He never criticizes, never condemns. And then he invites me out to his church. It's a long story. I need to fast forward here. He invites me to church, and I go to this little four-square church out in Yuma, Arizona, Spirit-filled church, the armpit of America, Yuma, Arizona. And I walk into this place, and I've never seen anything like it in my Catholic life. People got their hands raised. They're jumping up and down. They're worshiping God. They're singing in tongues. They're prophesying. They're praying for people to be healed. Miracles are happening. And I'm thinking, what in the world did I walk into? This is a cult. They're sucking me into this vortex. This is, it's all a trap for me. So I had to go back the second time, Sam. I had to go back the second time and see, is this for real? And it was for real. These people were in love with God in a way that I had never experienced before in my life. And as I fast forward now, I'm hooked. I'm like, this is, the juices are flowing. God is moving in and through my life. I'm encountering God in a way that I never have. And then I hear about this crazy thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I make a decision. I make a choice. One day the altar's opened up, and they invite you, if you want to make a choice for Jesus, to come forward. And I did. I made a choice. And with that choice, there's been a cost. There's been a cost. And one night I was laying on the back of an F-4 Phantom jet in the middle of the night, watching shooting stars go by. And I laid there and I cried out to God and I said, God, if you are real, if you love me, if you have a plan for my life, I want to experience all that heaven has. I don't want anything left on the shelf of my life. I want to use it all up. I want to give it all away. Come and have your way with me. I surrender everything I am. And in that moment, the Spirit of God came in in a way that I never experienced before. I began to worship God in my understanding with my English. And then I began to minister in a way that I never had. 
just tongues coming out of my, a language that I had never experienced. I began to worship God in a way that I never had before. And I was never the same. But life continues to move on. This was back in 1977. I've been walking with God for, what, 47 years. Yeah, but yeah, you can praise God. But listen to me. I'm no different than you, Daniel. I'm no different. I'm the same. I was young like you one day, and I was looking for truth. And here I had come to experience truth. But life continues to go on. My four years were done in the Marine Corps. I came back home. All my high school friends were Roman Catholic. All my friends were Roman Catholic. And now I'm the Jesus freak. What's the sacrifice you're willing to bring before God? When people begin to criticize and condemn you, they look at you differently like, what, what happened to you? You're not the same partying Dave I know. You have a choice. And with every choice, there's a cost. I'm moving through life, and I'm just, you, I asked you if I could be transparent and honest with you, and you said yes. So now you're in trouble. <laughs> life is not easy. It's difficult. And my story's a lot longer than I could share today, but I was married. And I had two sons while I was in the Marine Corps. And something happened when we came home. The pressure was so great. My wife left me. She left me with two boys. That's what I signed up for, God. This is really good. This is what I signed up for. I surrendered everything I am to you, and this is what you, you gave me. And then something miraculous happened as time went on. I went to a little church on the east side of St. Paul called the Church of Acts, and I met this beautiful young lady named Noreen Howard. And here we are, 42, almost 43 years later. Why do I share this? Why do I expose myself? I don't need to share this with you. My wife, she had two children. I had two children. Then we had two more children together, and we raised all six full time. You talk about hard choices. You talk about difficulty in raising kids that are not of your blood. I'm being honest with you. This is real life. And many of you here today, you've experienced real life, but there are choices that you made. I made a choice to make a vow before God to be with this woman. In our 42 years, she would testify, it's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows. We've had to work through it. We're both stubborn enough, love God enough, that we never quit. And we continue to run the race. During these times, I mean, it's like choices need to be made. How do you love your kids when they're not your kids? How do you discipline your kids when they're not your kids? How do you love a wife that is brand new in all of this? Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting married and the next day you've got four kids to take care of? <laughs> and a few years later, you got six to take care of? It's amazing. So during this time now, I'm learning to become a carpenter. I worked for a contractor for 18 years. I become his right-hand man. We go from residential to commercial construction. 
We're figuring all this out. I'm learning everything from him. He's my mentor. He's my friend. He's a good man. He treats me as well as he could treat me. And during this time, I'm still on fire for God. You see, I got hooked up with the living God and it's never changed. We're serving God as a carpenter, as a housewife. We're in the church. She's doing work, working in the children's church, teaching kids. I'm ushering. I'm working the soundboard. I'm on the worship team, doing all these things that a normal human being would do, right? And yet the fire is burning inside. And I'm continuing to search for truth. God, what am I supposed to do? This is part of the process. I'm working, raising a family. And in this 18 years, after 16 years, God begins to speak to me. Dave, you need to start your own business. You need to start your own business. I don't know how to start a business. I have no business starting a business. I'm a high school graduate, four years in the Marine Corps, been through a divorce, raising six kids. I don't know how to start a business. I'm talking to my boss, my mentor, for two years about this. Ryan, I'm telling him straight up, God's showing me I need to start my own business. One day he looks at me and says, Dave, today's a good day. You've been talking about this long enough. You're fired. <laughs> oh, what did I do? I get to come home and tell my wife with six kids at home, honey, we have no more work. But God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He loves me and I love him. I've got a friend at church. He's got a little printing company. He says, oh, I can help you start up a business. That was in 1995. I started up Cornerstone Construction. Here we are almost 30 years later still running this. God is, he's good. Now listen, there are choices to be made. What choices are you making today, Stefan? What choice? There's a cost. After one year of being in business, one year, I get a call from a good friend of mine, Ted Trandall. So Ted and Julie Trandall, they've been our, one of our best friends for years. We raise kids together. He's a carpenter like I am. We work together, construction. We play ball together, fish together, hunted together. And now he is the International Crusade Director for a ministry called Francine World Outreach. Mike Francine, local boy out of Cambridge, Minnesota, been all around the world doing miracle crusades all around the world. And Ted is now living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He moved from Minnesota. And Ted calls me up one day after I'm one year in business. This is what he says to me, Lindsay. Dave, I need some help. The ministry's growing. Would you come to India to observe what we do? Come to India? Are you nuts? I'm raising six kids, I'm running a business. I don't have time to go to India. I have a choice. God, what are you doing? What are you doing with me? I said yes. I said yes. And I went to India and I saw for five nights Miracle Crusade, you know, 50,000, 60,000, 80,000 people in a crowd Blind eyes opening, tumors disappearing, the lame getting up and walking, the dead being raised. And I'm thinking, my God, this is what I've been looking for all my life. I've encountered the living God in a real way. But I come back home. 
I'm married. I've got six kids. I got a construction business. What am I going to do? I get a call from my good friend Ted about three weeks later. Dave, ministry's growing. I need help. You'd be willing to go to Togo, West Africa, and organize your first miracle crusade. You're out of your mind, Ted. You're crazy. I don't know how to organize a miracle crusade. Oh, it's just like you're a businessman now. You just go sign the contract, you make the deals, you get it done, you make it happen. You can do it, Dave. You can do it, Dave. I got a choice. With the choice, there's a cost. I said yes. 1997, went to Togo. Organized my first miracle crusade. Five nights, 50,000 people every night. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff happening. Crazy stuff. The miracle working power of God, it's real, it's the same. Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His plan hasn't changed. It's not about me, it's about you today. What's the cost? What's the choice that you are making? Continue to fast forward. Dave, I need you to go to Benin, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire. I need you to go. I had choices. See, I've got four sons. Three of them were helping kind of run the business. Not really, really good at it. It wasn't great. And eventually I get a call from Ted and he says, Dave, I need you to come out full time. Will you sell everything here in Minnesota and move to Tulsa, Oklahoma? I had a choice. And with the choice was a cost. We still had two that were in high school. That's a tough choice. And we said yes. Was it the right choice? I'm gonna take you all the way back to what happened last Friday night in that Brazil party when I drove home with my wife and I asked her the question, how did we get here? What's the price we had to pay? And I'm being honest with you, I told her this party that happened Friday night would never have happened if we wouldn't have made the choice to say yes to God, to move and sell everything. I was in South Africa, Swaziland, South Africa, and I got the call from my friend Ted. Dave, there's been a falling out of the ministry. You need to shut everything down and come home. Come home. I just moved to Tulsa. I just, I mean, it was hard on my kids. It was hard on my wife. What's going on, God? I called my wife up from Swaziland, and I said, honey, I'm coming home. We're going home. She says, good, you're coming back to Tulsa? I says, no, we're going back to Minnesota. She said, what? Yeah, there's been a, a falling out. And I looked now in hindsight. See, I've had these last week or two to prepare for what God has want me to brought forth today. And it's like, none of this would have happened for the last 25 years or more, traveling the nations of the world, if we wouldn't have made choices, good and bad, right or wrong, 
There are choices that each of us needs to make. And with every choice, there's a cost. Friday night wouldn't have happened, Em, if we would not have moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if we would have not gone through the pain and suffering of having to pack everything up again and move back to Minnesota. I'm sure we lost probably 100 to 200 grand in all the moves that we've made, trusting God. And in this, is God in it or not? Was God in it with King David? Was God exposing hearts, revealing what is really honest and true about what's going on in your heart? What are your hidden agendas? What are your ulterior motives? What are you running after? See, I could tell you stories all day long for the next week of the miracle working power of God all around the world. We've seen incredible, crazy things. I've been a small part of 13 million coming to Christ. I've been a part of God opening blind eyes, tumors disappearing, dead being raised. I give all the glory to Jesus. It's nothing about me. I'm no different than you. I'm no different than you. You see, God is on the move in the earth today, and he's waiting to flow through you. What choices are you making? What is the offering that you're willing to bring to God? If it doesn't cost you anything, it's a cheap offering. I'm not asking you to pay the price for sin. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you, what choices are you making that's going to cost you everything? You see, this young generation, they're not looking for something they can live for. They're looking for something they can die for. That is true. That's what they're looking for. I was just invited last year to go to the University of Minnesota, the Newman Center. That's the Roman Catholic campus, University of Minnesota, to come and speak. So I went. I counted the chairs. There were 100 chairs all set up. Every chair was full. There's 120 people there. There's 20 students standing, two priests and two brothers standing in the back. And I've got 45 minutes to share a message, Brian. Here's what happened. I got a packed house. I show him a video of some of the miracle working power of God. And then there was a young man, this poor young man. He was sitting right front center. His name was Jack. And so I just picked on Jack in love. I said, Jack, if today's your last day on earth, where are you going to go, heaven or hell? Just like that. I don't have time to mess around anymore. And Jack, he says, I hope I'm going to heaven. And I looked around the room and I said, who else in this room hopes that they're going to heaven? And every hand went up. And then I said, Jack, would you like to know for sure that you can spend eternity with God in heaven? Would you like to know that, Jack? He said, yes, I would like to know that. I said, who else in the room would like to know for sure that you can have eternal life? And every hand went up. So I just shared with Jack a simple two-minute message. I said, Jack, I'm the same as you. Have you ever made one mistake, Jack? He said, yes, I've made lots of mistakes. I said, me too, I've made lots of mistakes. God calls those a mistake sin. And there's a penalty for sin. It's death and separation from God for all eternity. And there's only one thing, Jack, that pays the price for my sin and your sin. That's a blood sacrifice. That's why Jesus had to come. That's what you believe every time you go to the Mass at church. You have to receive the free gift, Jack. Then you can know you have eternal life. Would you like to do that today, Jack? Yes, I would. Who else in the room would like to receive Jesus? And every hand went up in the room. 
People are hungry. They're looking for truth. Before I went into this meeting at the U of M, Stefan, here's what happened. I found a young man and a young woman. And before the meeting started, I asked them two questions. I said, what are you looking for? The young woman said, I'm looking for truth. What's really true? Does God love me? Does he care about me? Does he have a plan for my life? The young man said, I'm looking for an encounter with God. I want to experience him right in my hands. I want you to put the power in my hands. You see, there's a generation that's looking for what you carry, what you have. He's looking for you, Allison. He is. He wants what you carry to be exposed to a world that's hurting and dying. You're the generation. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. God wants to use you to make a choice. Just one choice at a time. That's all it takes. And with the choice, there's a cost. My wife and I, We've been in, like I said, I've been in probably 50 countries around the world. And we've raised, painfully I'll say, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what we do. You know what a pain it is to call people up and ask for money? You here at the house have been so gracious. So many of you have supported not only what happens here at the house with Pastor Jamie and Nikki, what happens around with M over in Brazil? What happens when we go to Africa, when we go to Asia? And I thank God for the cost that it's cost me. It's, it's, it's killed my pride. It's like, God, this sucks. I go through my list of people that I need to call again. It's like, man, I, I hate doing this, God. And then God reminds me, Dave, this is part of the body of Christ. They're wanting to be involved. They need to be involved. You need to create an opportunity for them to be involved. Everybody can't go. I have a question for you today. How many tribes are there in Israel? How many? Twelve, Twelve tribes. How many priestly tribes are there? You know what that means? There are 11 tribes of God's chosen people. Every day they're out winning the wars, building the cities, and doing the stuff. And without those 11 tribes, there is no priestly tribe. Where do you fit in in the tribes? You see, we often relate and think that ministry and business, this is what we've been taught through church life, they're separate. They don't, they're not together. They're not meshed together. But that's, it's not true. I'm a carpenter. That's what I do well. I swing a hammer, and I do it real well. What are you passionate about? What are you gifted at? Brian, what do you do for a living? What are you called to do? How has God wired you? Whatever you are gifted in, being a doctor, lawyer, housewife, carpenter, that is the high call of God for your life. And this is where God wants to flow in and through you with all the power and authority that heaven has. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, you've been given access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you belong to Christ. Who are you? Whose are you? Who has bought you? Who has purchased you? If you believe in Christ, you are not your own. Stop being a Christian. Lindsay, 
Being crucified with Christ is tough. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That means we have choices to make, and with the choice is the cost. There's a cost. My challenge to you for this next week, as you lay in your bed, allow the Spirit of God to just run you through the video of your life. And remember where you started the day you said yes to Christ and all of the choices you've made along the way and what those choices produced, good or bad, and where it's led you to now. And then ask God, where is it that he wants to take you? I could share with you the crazy, crazy stuff I've been involved with right now because I've continued to say yes with God. We're looking at changing the culture of government systems, of nations on the earth. Who am I, God? I'm just a carpenter, uneducated, been through a divorce. I'm nobody, but yet with you, God, I am everything that you desire to be. I gotta get moving here. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I got a couple of passages I wanna share with you. Yeah, I know. There are actually, there's, there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew. Just turn to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 16. We're all familiar with it. Verse 24. If I can find it. Here we go. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, that's the question this morning. Do you really desire to come after Jesus? Do you really desire to come after Jesus? See, I forgot to tell you what happened at the Newman Center. Before I had them made a decision for Christ, I cautioned all of them. I said, I'm going to challenge each one of you. If you want to make a decision for Christ, I'm going to ask you to make a stand. But before you do, I'm going to tell you it's going to cost you everything. Don't make the decision lightly. I'm actually discouraging you. If you are not willing to sacrifice everything that God calls you to do, don't stand up. And still, every one of them stood up. They're looking for truth. They're looking for answers. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's crazy. Carrying your cross, that means you're carrying it to be laid down on and be crucified on it, to die. That's what it literally means, to take up your cross and carry it. It's awful quiet in here. This is serious stuff. Luke. Chapter 14, I got to close this up. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. Today, God's calling you to make choices. 
for the rest of your life, no matter how young you are, how old you are, God is calling you to make one choice after another. And with every choice, there's a cost. With every choice, there's always a cost with a choice. Always. I want to have you stand to your feet. Come on. I want to share a couple of Proverbs with you. I want you just to think about these things and meditate on these things. There's a couple of Proverbs that just blow my mind. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, here's what it says. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Have you committed your works to the Lord? I'm talking about what you do what you're passionate about, what you're wired for, what you're gifted at, what you do every day. Are you committing those to the Lord? If you are, your thoughts will be established. This is a faith statement. It's a faith statement. You are trusting that as you commit your works to God, he's going to give you the thoughts that you need to carry out everything that he has planned for your life. Verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. Think about that. We do. We make plans in our heart. I do. I plan my way every day. I'm a list maker. I get up and I make a list every day what I need to do. But I trust that the Lord is the one directing my steps. I'm trusting that he's the one guiding and leading me every step of the way. And then there's a proverb that absolutely blows my mind. It's Proverbs 20, 24. Knowing this, that I've committed my works to the Lord, that he's the one guiding my steps. He's leading me in my paths. Here's what it says. A man's steps are of the Lord. Amen, it's true. How then can a man understand his own way? I have no flipping clue, Brian, what's gonna happen this afternoon after this is done. I'm trusting God. I've made plans. He's ordering my steps. I can't understand the ways of God, how he's going to move through my life. But as I continue to take one step after the other, it just happens. It happens. Put your hand on your heart. Close your eyes. I just have a couple of things I want to share with you. A couple of statements that'll just stir you up. Just close your eyes tight and think about these things. These are some statements by some powerful people throughout history. My friend Mike Francine, he said this, people always say, take care. I say, take charge. Dream big enough for God to fit into your dreams. There's a statement that goes out, it says, I've been thrown to the wolves. Here's what this unknown author said. He said, you throw me to the wolves and I will come out leader of the pack. Is that your belief? There's a Chinese proverb that says, the person who says something is impossible should not interrupt the person who is doing it. David Wilkerson said this, 
I don't want to settle for crumbs when the Lord has promised me the whole bakery. My friend Mike Francine, he said this, the only thing that stands between you and your future is your present. You must harbor a passion to champion a cause. Do you have a cause that you're going after? And you better harbor a passion. Will Rogers said this, even if you're on the right track, you'll never, you'll get run over if you just sit there. I'll say it again. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Listen to this one. Faith does not weigh alternatives. Faith acts on assurances. Faith is not believing in spite of circumstances. Faith is believing in spite of consequences. You will never define the fullness of God's favor on your life until you venture into the impossible. Do you want to experience God? Then dream big and do something that's impossible for you to do in your own strength. That's when God will show up. I don't want to play with marbles when God told me to move mountains. And I'm not going to sit in the bathtub when the Almighty tells me to part the sea. Choices. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that from the foundation of the world you've called each and every one to do great exploits here on the earth. That's why they're here. They're still breathing the free air of heaven. You haven't taken them home yet. They're occupying space. Lord, show them the dreams and visions that, that you've desired for them to walk in. The choices you are calling them to make and the cost that it will cost them to make those choices. Father, the sacrifice that they bring before your throne of grace every day, let it be something that costs us that's precious to us, that's precious to you. Open our hearts. Open our hearts. Father, there are some here today. They've never encountered you before. They've never experienced you before. They've never experienced your love and your mercy and your grace, your forgiveness, your power. And Father, you are offering it here today for them just like I shared with Jack on that day at the U of M. If there's anybody here today and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you hope you're going to spend it in heaven, but you're not sure. You've never made a decision for Jesus. I'm going to ask you all to do something right here, right now. You have your hand on your heart and your eyes are closed. If you want to give your life to Jesus, today's the day. I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray a prayer with me out loud. Say, Father in heaven, I come before you today. 
And I admit to you that I've made mistakes, that I'm a sinner. But I thank you, Father, that you made a way to take all my sin away. You sent your son, Jesus, and he paid the price for my sin. So I invite you now, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my friend. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's it. If you gave your life to Christ today, I'm encouraging you to talk to somebody, tell somebody what you've done. Father, as they leave this place today, I release blessing over them. I release courage, strength, honor to make hard choices. Choices that are uncomfortable to get them out of their comfort zone so they can do great exploits for the glory of God. you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you in such a way that every time you look in the mirror, every time you see the reflection of your brother Jesus looking back at you. May you understand his peace and experience his peace. And may you go forth in the glory of God. If you believe in all that, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.